Every last one of us is still recovering from the pandemic in some way. For some people, it's financial, having maybe lost a job or a small business along the way. Millions of us watched friends or loved ones perish from COVID. Millions more are dealing with the lasting physical effects of the virus. And tens of millions of teenagers lost out on proms, entire sports seasons, and countless other memories most of us took for granted. Over one in four U.S. adults report having lost a net number of friends since the beginning of the pandemic. How could you not, when you go months without leaving the house or years without being in the office? Feelings of stress and unhappiness in America are still far above levels we saw in 2019 or as far back as 2012, when civic science began tracking it. The numbers are particularly heartbreaking for women, especially teens and working moms. So people are taking matters into their own hands. Acts of self-care, revenge, travel, and splurging of all kinds are a hallmark of U.S. consumerism right now. Even with economic headwinds and shrinking budgets, people are finding ways to spend on the things that make them feel better and cutting back on the things that don't. Nowhere has this trend been more evident than in the beauty and cosmetics industry. Through all the ups and downs of quarantine, supply chain disruptions, and inflation, the beauty category keeps growing, quarter after quarter. My guest today is Dave Kimball, the chief executive officer of Alta Beauty, one of the largest, most innovative, and successful brands in the world. Dave and I talked about how the pandemic changed the way Alta customers think about beauty products. Today, it's less about how we look to other people and more about how we feel. We also talked about Alta Beauty's wildly successful partnership with Target, their investments in minority-owned beauty startups, corporate leadership, and the very best way to eat ketchup with a basket of fries. So make yourself feel better by listening to a great conversation with Dave Kimball and me, the dumbest guy in the room. Dave Kimball, it is great to see you. Where are we finding you today? Well, John, it's great to be here with you, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. I'm here in our office in Chicago at Ulta Beauty, and we're focused as we look forward to driving our business into 2023, and we're excited about what's ahead of us. Chicago, is that home forever? Where are you from? Well, I'm from originally Indianapolis, so not too far from here. Grew up in the Midwest and have lived in Cincinnati for a little while, but I've been in Chicago for about a little over 20 years. So definitely feel uh, connected, lived here for quite a while, and it's a great city. Yeah, I love Chicago. I love asking a question that I know the answer to when it's a great answer, but I'll ask it anyway. How's business? Well, we're really pleased with our performance. The most recent quarter that we've announced was our third quarter, and the beauty category is performing very well as we've emerged from the pandemic. Beauty enthusiasts across the country are, are very engaged in all aspects of beauty, and our business has performed well. We feel like we're leading the category, delivering a great experience to our guests, both in-store and online and every touch point that we have. And so we're really pleased with the results and optimistic about the opportunity we have ahead of us to continue to drive our business and deliver great experiences for our guests every day. Well, congratulations on all that. You took the reins there August of 2021-ish, give or take? Yeah, about a year and a half ago. Yep. So you've kind of bookended your career thus far, where you started at Procter & Gamble in in the beauty category. You wove through, and I want to talk about some of the touch points along the way in that, but you wove through consumer packaged goods, home goods, telecom in the middle of all of that. But what have you learned or what what did we learn about people and what did you learn about people as in their relationship to your products in COVID and the aftershocks of it? 
Well, yeah, COVID, of course, was disruptive for all of us in our both our business and our personal lives in so many ways. And so we have a lot of learnings. I guess I go back to the beginning in, I guess, March, February, March of 2020, when we saw started to see what was unfolding ahead of us. And like every everybody, from a business standpoint, we were trying to figure out how to best navigate. We were concerned about how we would manage to continue to take care of our team, to take care of our guests, and provide continuity in our business going forward. We had to close all our stores for several months, which was something none of us had ever imagined would be in the in the realm of possibilities. But through all of that, we stayed very close to our to our consumer. It's something that I've just, I guess, learned in my background, as you mentioned, in CPG at places like Procter and Gamble, staying close to consumer behavior, understanding what's driving them is key to business success going forward. And so through that, we learned quickly that, yeah, there's a lot coming to people. We're all trying to figure it out. But beauty was still important, even as people were home and you know, changing their behaviors and their habits overnight. We found that the role of beauty remained as important and in some ways even more important to our guest lives. I'll give you one specific example in our fragrance category. We thought at the beginning, well, fragrance is probably going to struggle. People aren't going out. People aren't going to parties or going to work. And so we thought that category would really decline. And for the first several weeks, it was it was tough. But then pretty quickly, we saw that business, even with our stores closed online, took off and it's been strong ever since. And so the consumer insight that we saw in that is an increasing understanding by people that beauty isn't just doing, you aren't participating in this category solely for others. You're actually doing it for yourself. So even if I'm at home watching Netflix on the couch, I feel good if I'm wearing a fragrance. I feel better about how just I'm living. And so the role of beauty evolved pretty significantly in many ways. And what is encouraging for us is there's a deeper connection between beauty and self-care and wellness than we've ever seen. And so that, I think, bodes well for the category for the long term, even as we come out of COVID and settle back into our new routines. How much of that do you think is just, was a COVID phenomenon and a change or that it helped to manifest what's actually true about people, right? If I'm not sure I'm asking the question the right way, but if we think about, did people change or did those circumstances allow us to put a spotlight on how people really are? I think probably more the latter. The trends around beauty and wellness and self-expression have been going on for a while and evolving over many, many years. If you go back in time, beauty historically, or at least for the last century, maybe, has been, there have been you know, singular standards of beauty. There had been a, a belief that to be beautiful, you had to look like what you saw in a magazine. And increasingly, and this really had been going on for a while, but then I'd say took off with the advent with social media, more people found their voice and their ability and the importance of expressing themselves however they want to, to the world around them. The idea that there isn't one singular standard of beauty, that everybody is beautiful. And beauty fundamentally is about self-expression and how you choose to bring yourself, your best self to the world around you. And that, and this idea that you aren't doing beauty solely for others, that you're doing it for yourself and how you choose to show up in the world. So that trend we had been seeing 
for a while. What COVID did was accelerate and kind of turbocharge that as people really took time to evaluate what was most important to them, to be forced into new ways of living their life. They took more time to reflect on self-care and wellness and how they chose to express themselves to the world and, and live their lives. And that deeper connection, I think, is, as I said, really important to the, to the future. We saw in some of our research, about two-thirds of beauty enthusiasts now make a much deeper connection between beauty and wellness than they ever have. So it had been a trend that had been going on. It's a positive trend in the, in the overall beauty category, but no doubt the shock of COVID had encouraged people to think differently about it. And, and I fundamentally believe it's great for, for society as a whole. It's great for the beauty category, and it's proved to be positive for Ulta Beauty. I couldn't agree more as it relates to sort of the societal benefit of that. We talk about it all the time, even on this podcast, that that COVID was this greatest social experiment in human history, things, things we never would have been able to test before. What would happen to the fragrance category if no one could leave their house for three months? No one knew the answer to that question, and you just learned. And I'd never heard that before, that you saw that kind of performance from that category. And I think it says that. It says people realized a lot of these things they were doing, they weren't necessarily doing them to impress other people or to show off to other people, but to feel better about themselves. And it's it's much the same way that people reconnected with family during COVID because travel ball tournaments out of town were stripped away and we went hiking together. And the, with all the, the hardships that COVID brought, we learned a lot of really good things about humanity during that time too. So let's broaden the, the sphere a bit and go back to, you think back to you were at Procter & Gamble in the beauty category in the mid nineties, starting in the mid nineties, you fast forward to almost 30 years later. What hasn't changed about the category? What are some of the things that have changed the most? And have you seen things, have you seen anything sort of rebound? Was one way changed and kind of went back to the way it was? Well, I'll start by just saying, yeah, my first job out of college was actually in banking. Uh, so hmm. I spent about five years in banking uh, and commercial lending, which is very different. And then after business school, decided, hey, I'm kind of interested in marketing and the world of brand management, but I didn't really know much about it. And I had the opportunity, the, I was fortunate enough to get an opportunity to have an internship in business school at Procter & Gamble that ended up starting my career in this space. And when you get an internship at, at Procter & Gamble, at least then, I assume it's probably the same now, you don't, you're just, I was just really excited to have a job to work for that great company. You don't choose, you didn't get to choose, well, I wanted to work in beauty or laundry care or fabric care. They just place you where there's opportunities. And and I was placed in beauty, working in skincare. The first brand I worked on was uh, Noxzema Skincare back in 1995. I loved it, but I didn't fully appreciate the power of the category uh, and the the where it would lead me in my career. What I learned early, and this is still very true, and why I ended up being so appreciative of being in the beauty category, is the importance that it plays in consumers' lives. Other categories that P&G or other businesses sell, like laundry detergent, are obviously play an important role, but they don't, all of them don't have as deep of an emotional connection to consumers. And, and because how you take care of yourself, how you express yourself to the world is so deeply personal and important. And so with that is a lot of emotion. And so I've learned quickly and early uh, and was taught by a great organization 
of how to just really understand the consumer dynamics behind beauty. And so it was a great learning, even though I wasn't in beauty my whole career, it was a great place to start. So that, to your question about what has changed, what I, that has been true, I'd probably argue throughout human history, how people choose to take care of themselves is so emotionally important. Now, the category itself has changed. I talked earlier about this evolution from a you know singular standard of beauty that wasn't fully represented representative of everybody at all has changed very much for the positive and that's been a journey you know over the time that I've been associated that has accelerated as probably most notably by younger consumers that want to don't want to be forced into previous definitions of beauty and want to have the platforms to celebrate what's unique and and expressive about themselves. So I'd say that's a, a big change. The other big, I think, exciting dynamic is over my time, even nine years now at Ulta Beauty, I've seen the opportunity for entrepreneurs to create new brands and new experiences has never been more powerful. There's always been a role for new brands to emerge. And there's been through history, you know, going back to Estee Lauder creating the business when she started to what it is today. But the the breadth and depth and scale of entrepreneurship and innovation is so exciting in this category and it's never been stronger. And I have the fortune of meeting so many entrepreneurs. And in this category, many of them are women, young women that are are creating businesses that are transforming the the category, transforming the way consumers engage, and and that's a definitely a big change, and it's and it's really exciting and bodes well for the future of the category. That is fascinating to hear from someone in a position like yours, because I would say that the the typical business established business like yours would view that onslaught of entrepreneurship as a th- competitive threat. You do, you see it in big tech, you see it in manufacturing. There's the the fear of the person building the thing in the basement that's going to be the existential threat to the business, but you're you're embracing that. You're even with the the diversity initiative that you all launched last year, which I we can certainly talk more about as well, a big part of that was to support Black-owned, BIPOC-owned brands being in entrepreneurs and and even investing and in incubating those things. So how do you bring that into your business in a way that is additive and beneficial to you such that it's not perceived as a threat of, oh, this is some some upstart David that's going to threaten my Goliath? Well, it, it's a great point. And we do spend a lot of time making sure at Ulta Beauty, we've got the strategies and approaches and initiatives to continue to differentiate our business. We were created 32 years ago by two entrepreneurs that had an idea of disrupting beauty, of changing the way beauty is brought to consumers across the country, fundamentally with this idea that uh, the historic, I guess, industry-driven approach to beauty, which had different types of beauty, whether it's prestige products or mass products and different retailers, was a standard that had to be lived up to. And our founders felt that that wasn't really the way consumers wanted to engage in the category. They did research back then, and still holds true today, that there's a different, more accessible, more friendly, open, open, welcoming, non-intimidating way to engage in beauty. And so we've been driven on that mission since our founding. And so that's a big focus. So we we stay true to that. But at the same time, we, we love the innovation that's coming out. And some of that 
is innovation that could, I guess, threaten our business in some ways. But so much of it is around just bringing new ideas into beauty. And a lot of that is new brands. And we are a great destination at Ulta Beauty for small and emerging brands to reach guests. We have almost 40 million members in our loyalty program. We are of all types, all ages, all geographies across the country. So we provide a platform for entrepreneurs to build their business. And it's been a big focus of, of our company. And we have whole teams that are dedicated to that, to train and educate and support and guide entrepreneurs on their journey. And I'd say, you know, as I look back over this time, one of the big drivers of growth has been small brands growing into bigger brands that are making big contributions to the category. And so we embrace that, we drive it, we lean into it, and we try to support it because we think it's a big part of our future going forward. Uh, that shows a ton of vision. And if you look at some of the most successful companies in the world, like Apple, who is the first one that comes to mind, that, that think about the ecosystems that they can create. And as opposed to success isn't pie, there's plenty of it to go around and we can all share in it the more the, the more we make. So that, well, that is a great, a great thing about that is how it's a great way to frame up how we think about you know our role in the beauty categories. We're we're really here to to provide a great experience for our guests as they discover and explore this emotionally important space. We also recognize that there's other ways to do it. And so our goal isn't solely about just beating our competitors. I mean we're focused on on driving growth, but we focus more on what we think of delivering a great experience every day. We've been rewarded when we do that by loyalty, but for us it's more about focus on our guests, focus on evolving beauty, and we think good things will come, not focus on you know, retrenching or defending what we built. And you know that I think will be our future going forward. I would bet on that approach for sure. You have two kids, roughly same vintage as mine. We'll call them clearly Gen Z. They drive so much of consumerism now. I don't have a conversation with a an executive like yourself ever where the topic doesn't come up. But in this one, in this industry in particular, they're so important. What are you seeing different among Gen Z? Putting life stage aside, we, we always try to se we always try to separate sort of what's a life stage phenomenon from what's a generational one. But what do you see that's gener generationally unique about this, either in either in the focus group of your own life with your kids or what you're seeing, or both of what you're seeing from the data from your business? Well, Gen Z, of course, probably for every business and certainly for beauty is so important to our business and the category as a whole. And they had dramatic impact and influence on the way they see beauty, the world sees beauty and this broader connection to wellness. So I'm, I'm blessed to have two kids. Uh, my daughter is 21 and my son is 19. So I see the world through through their eyes often and their friends and their experiences and what i what i see we see this i see this through them and i also through our research is that in beauty and broader extension of wellness gen z is really just embracing new routines earlier and they're taking i'd, I'd argue a, a healthier approach to the connection between beauty and wellness they they see importance around more functional elements like skincare, but also the broader idea of inner health and just general sense of wellness, mental wellness, physical wellness, spiritual, emotional wellness. And I think that's perhaps driven by growing up in a, in a social media world where they have much more engagement and exposure to all different 
people and cultures and societies around the world, gives them a broader worldview. They also, uh, you know, you could argue were the most impacted by COVID over these last three years and some of the strain and stress that you and I didn't have to live through in our in our teenage years that matured them, but also you know, gave them a, a different perspective of the world. What I'm so encouraged by, and I do see it in my kids, is you know, just much more dialogue, much more openness to talk about things that maybe weren't discussed in the past, m- mental health, self-care, wellness. And I'd say fundamentally, the acceptance of self-expression, the idea that everybody is beautiful and we all live in a world that people choose to express themselves however they want to. And there's more acceptance. It's not perfect, of course, but I do see that as a really positive trend. I, you know, and it's interesting have, having both a son and a daughter, both of them are involved in the overall wellness journey in different ways. My, my daughter, you know, is more involved in some of the categories like makeup and hair care than, than my son, but both of them see the importance of, of overall wellness. And I think it's really encouraging by having the dialogue, be able to talk more openly about things like mental health, I think will bode well, uh, even if you know there's some challenges that come along with that. Not only could I not agree more, I may even agree more because I, I think it's arguably the most impressive thing about this generation, that that is not a life stage phenomenon. This is truly generational, I think, secular for the long haul. And I see it with my kids. Both my daughters have therapists. They talk openly with their friends about it. And not only not only has the stigma of that gone away, it's almost reversed to the point where they're almost appalled if their friends don't have a, it's like not seeing the dentist, right? Like, what do you mean? You don't tend to your mental health? And, and that is, I can't imagine or I can imagine, but I, I can't express how different that is from, say, my generation at that same point. If if I was seeing a therapist, I was I want to make sure nobody knew about it. And and the fact that that openness and confidence and strength to talk about it is a huge, huge feature of this group makes me very, very hopeful for for the future. I think I, I always say Gen Z is going to going to save the world. But on that, so another kind of cultural trend that has evolved in our, all of our data for really particularly the last seven, eight years is we talk about tribalism. And of course, there's the sort of political orientation of that. And we're not going to go there. But as people have, and social media has most certainly created or at least accelerated this, which is this, this extent to which I tend to organize around people in groups and cohorts of people like me, maybe that share my values. And some some ways I express that is the media that I consume. And I think about more and more all the different things I do in my life and what they say about me, because I'm often sharing that with people. I'm taking pictures of the restaurants that I'm at, or I'm sharing the, the content that I consume. And all of those things are sort of badges of my identity, Right. But one of the biggest trends that we see is the extent to which the brands that I engage with are an expression, not just the, the maybe the product that I use that if I see a picture of somebody on the screen, I don't know what brand of makeup they're wearing, right? But the brand association that now we see particularly with Gen Z has is becoming the sort of the expression in and of itself, right? So you have this incredibly loyal customer base. You've invested so much in sort of creating that loyalty with your customers. What do you think being an Ulta Beauty customer says about a consumer? Well, what do you think they think it says about them? And what do you want it to say about them? Well, I'd start by saying what we try to deliver every day. And I think it's one of the things that really differentiates 
us and our experiences the is the experience that you get particularly when you walk into one of our almost 1400 stores across the country and we spend a lot of time really supporting our store teams who are expressing our brand and delivering our experience every day and what we want that experience and and i think most of the time it is again we're we're by no means perfect what we want that experience to be is fun friendly welcoming encouraging inviting non intimidating and a place to come in to have fun and to explore and to get educated and to discover your own possibilities how you choose to bring yourself to the life it goes back to what I learned at PNG, the emotional importance of this category, and we feel like we play an important role in that by delivering this experience. And interesting, when I started at Ulta, again, almost nine years ago, one of the first things I did was spend time with consumers. And I was I remember vividly being in a focus group and hearing a woman talk about her experience buying makeup. And she said, sometimes when I go to buy makeup at certain places, I feel like I have to put on my best makeup to go buy makeup because she felt like she was being judged. And it was like, I have to conform and feel like I'm living up to the standard that's being set in this store. And it felt intimidating. We so much want to be the opposite of that, that you come in as you are, however you want to bring yourself to the world. This idea that absolutely everybody is beautiful and it's really, we're here to help you bring your beauty, your self-expression to life. And so that's the experience that our guests tell us that they love about Ulta and that we work hard every single day. Our store teams are at the front line. We've got you know, 50,000 associates across the country that are focused on delivering this fun, playful, engaging, but emotionally important experience. And what's cool about it, the beauty category, it is everybody. We don't define our consumer by demographics. It's more a psychographic understanding of what we call a beauty enthusiast, which are really just people who who find the importance of beauty and how they choose to bring them, express themselves to the world. So it's all ages, all ethnicities, all geographies from big cities to small towns. And so our focus is delivering that experience. And, and then the other aspect of that, I'd say, is back you know, to your point about associating with brands. The other thing that I we think is so important, and it ties back to this idea that everybody is beautiful, it's really important for Ulta Beauty as a company, both in the what we say, but in, in what we do and how we show up every day in being a truly inclusive environment. Because again, beauty is not one standard, it's everybody. And so it's important that everybody, every individual, whoever they are, feels accepted and encouraged and invited to discover their own possibilities. So when we think of what we stand for, diversity, equity, inclusion is more than just the right thing to do as a corporate entity. It's so entrenched into the beauty category and so important. It's such an important, I think, obligation for us to deliver a great experience that, you know, I hope, you know, we do see it in our in our research that that association is important. And hopefully everybody feels that when they experience Ulta Beauty. It helps to explain, in my opinion, a lot of the success that your business has had. We see so many companies, ones that we even work with, that feel like they always have to kind of quote, pick a side. And sometimes that's might mean politically, and sometimes it might mean we have this kind of narrowly defined segment of customers that are available to us. 
But the best companies don't do that. I had Morgan Flatley, the CMO of McDonald's on with us in the last season, and we talked about sort of casting the the golden arches as an umbrella over everyone. And those are the businesses to bet on because at some point you're going to reach capacity of some segment if you put yourself in a narrowly defined group. And again, particularly because of the kind of tribal nature of, of our world today, you're going to sort of artificially cap your upside if you aren't thinking about inclusion. And, and it, like you said, you don't think about inclusion necessarily because it's good for business. You do it because it's good for humanity, but it's also good for business at the same time. So kudos to you. On that note, we talk about growth with businesses a lot. And I characterize this, there's kind of two types of growth that typically happen to companies. There's the growth that happens to them, meaning something in the world changed. COVID was a, one of those examples. There were a lot of businesses that benefited from people being stuck at home and buying new televisions and buying office supplies. And then we saw that peak and then everyone was shocked when the year-over-year comps in 21 and 22 weren't as strong, right? Then you've, you've got, you go from COVID to volatile to uncertain economic circumstances. And the companies that navigated and showed growth from the beginning of COVID until now are companies that not only may may have had some growth happen to them, but had to manage growth and create growth for themselves. And you're one of those companies. So what does it say about your brand or your category that allowed it to kind of navigate and thrive through all of these different ups and downs over the last almost three years now? Well, it's, it definitely has been a really uncertain and and I guess I'd say dynamic time. And uh, you know the way it's played out in beauty has been really interesting and it touches on on several of the themes that we've talked about but you know 2020 was a challenging year for the beauty category as a whole and and for Ulta Beauty because of all the dynamics our clo- our stores were closed which is the majority of our business for several months and the fact that there weren't as many events and activities or in many cases no no events or activities that often are are usage occasions for beauty whether it's hair or makeup you know had an impact on the on the category and so that was probably tough for for us and for the whole category to navigate through what we've seen coming out of that and we think it's a real positive momentum for for the total category and and I believe for Ulta Beauty is this heightened sense of the importance that beauty has. So I'd say, like like you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of challenges and problems, but but I actually feel like the category in our business is stronger now than it was before the pandemic, despite the pain and challenges and all the horrible things that came along over the last three years. And the reason that is, uh, it goes back to this idea that more and more people, and certainly beauty enthusiasts, have this greater sense of beauty as part of my overall wellness and not separating or differentiating those facts. Or we see that, as I mentioned earlier, about two-thirds of consumers now connect beauty and wellness. But when we ask them about what they look going forward, you know, about 75% of them anticipate an even greater connection between beauty and wellness over time. And 90%, which is, you know, it doesn't happen often that you get almost everybody, but 90% tell us that they will maintain or increase their wellness routines going forward, which, you know, so some of the new habits and behaviors that came out of COVID uh, that, that developed in COVID that again, were emerging maybe behind the scenes before COVID, consumers are telling us this is this is here to stay. We'll see what happens. And we're here to try to drive and adapt as consumers evolve and other things happen in the world around us. But 
but we think that's positive. It's what's driven the category. 2022 was a very positive year for the total beauty category in the United States, strong growth. And Ulta Beauty certainly benefited from that. And, and then you know, we, we were able to gain share and lead our business, lead the category in many ways. So it leads us to be very optimistic about the fundamental consumer understanding of the business and opportunity that's ahead of us. Well, what it tells me is that it's a versatile category because you can adapt to whatever sort of ups and downs and changing incentives and motives of the consumers will be. If 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 we maybe five, 10 years from now go back to a place where maybe beauty is more of an outward aspirational kind of thing, you've got that, right? If it, we stay in a more wellness-oriented mindset, you've got that. It's adaptive to different economic circumstances as well, right? There's, of course, prestige down and all the way down, right? So it, it is a remarkably versatile category. One one other big trend was kind of counterintuitive, I think, to a lot of people was, of course, we saw the rise of digital among older Americans during the pandemic because they had to learn to use digital tools because they were the more at risk. They were at home. They were buying Alexas. They were, they were uh, using Venmo. They were seeing their doctors online. And of course, that made all kinds of sense. And, and that was already native to, to younger millennials and younger Gen Zs as well. But the thing that seemed to surprise a lot of people was the extent, and we saw it in the holiday big time, even Black Friday. My 18-year-old daughter got up at 5 a.m. on Black Friday to go shopping with her friends. I was astonished. But there was this also, we saw younger people wanting to kind of reconnect with a store experience. Now, look, I don't want to overstate it. It's not going to go back to wherever it was pre-digital but are you seeing that and how's that factoring into your strategy of a bit more of a, a cross-channel relationship with even younger consumers now? We are seeing that and it's really encouraging for us as a as an omni-channel retailer, as almost 1,400 stores, but also a, a big and, and important and thriving e-commerce, uh, been digital experience. As we've emerged out of COVID, our stores have returned to be the center and the heart of what Ulta delivers. And, and I think that's true across the category. We question, no doubt, pre-pandemic questions about the future of physical retail. You probably recall the, all the headlines about retail apocalypse and the stores closing and physical retail is dead. And so we, we questioned that ourselves. We were building strategies to protect and evolve our business over time. And then certainly as we went through 2020 and our stores being closed and behavior shifting, as you said, and new, there's questions we had and others that evaluate our business had about the role of physical retail. We were confident though, maybe anxious, but confident because of all of our consumer research and what we knew in this category. I can't speak for other categories, but in this category, the importance of in-person discovery education, exploration is so important to be able to touch and feel and smell and experience beauty in a in a human way. Digital tools are great and they have added to our business in a very powerful way. To be able to try on makeup virtually has really elevated that experience in such an important way. Learning and educating through social media has been so powerful. So a ton happens in the digital space, but now it's fueling and feeding into our physical and human uh, experience that happens in our stores. And so we're seeing that across 
all aspects. We have in every one of our, almost every one of our stores services as well. So full, full service hair salon, brows, makeup services. Of course, you can't get your hair cut or colored online. You have to do that in person, at least today. We'll see where innovation goes. So there's things that draw people into the store that are real practical. But I'd say the biggest driver is the more emotional experience that happens. And one cool thing is, you know, we we do ask our guests all the time. We ask consumers and we do track this through our research. What's your preference of shopping in store versus online and what times of what types of experiences? All ages prefer shopping in store versus online, but the age that has the highest preference for in store is Gen Z. And it's a bit counterintuitive. Again, going back, you know, you and I both have kids that if yours are like mine, they live their life on the phone and you can't get them to put it down. And they're, you know, uh, everything revolves around their digital life in so many ways. But in this category, and it's probably true, I think, in, in some other categories, but certainly in this category, they have the highest preference for shopping in store. And I think it's because they really value that human connection that is maybe not as existing in other parts of their life. But in this category, for those that that are into beauty, it's an opportunity for them to have a human experience, to touch and feel and smell and be surrounded by beauty in a fun, playful environment. It's not a chore. It's not something you just check off your list. So oh, I've got to go buy mascara today. No, it's like you look forward to it. You plan it. You take your friends and you have fun. And so that's, I think, really exciting. And again, it's another positive for that Gen Z consumer and how they will continue to transform the category and the industry going forward. It's absolutely true with my kids that driving to Target together is an outing for them that they look forward to, you know, and it's funny because they had this epiphany at one point of, well, I can order something online and it'll be here in two days, or I could actually drive to Target, which is 10 minutes away and have it in 10 minutes. And I've also seen (laughs) very specific to your brand because there's a, a very large Ulta store within a store at our Target. And I'd taken my daughter there before her homecoming dance because she needed some things. And I'm frankly clueless. And we went into the Alta store and thank goodness there was a consultant there to work with her because I've, I was frankly completely helpless, but yeah, there was, there was that connection. You can't approximate that online. I mean, you can try, but it's, there's just, there's just nothing like, like having that face-to-face experience with someone in that particular kind of product area where she needed advice, not just advice, but feedback. Right. And maybe that's something she would have gotten had she taken her friends with her, but it wasn't, wasn't anything I was going to be able to do. Hey, John, Uh, if it makes you feel any better, I've worked at Ulta for nine years and I've got a 21-year-old daughter. So she's kind of grown up in a lot of ways in and around Ulta Beauty. And I should, I do know a lot about the category and our brands, but I think she finds me pretty clueless when I'm shopping with her at Ulta Beauty too. And she turns to our store teams that take care of her for sure. And so don't feel like you're, you're alone in that. No, in fact, I have an even newer found appreciation for it recently because I do a decent amount of television. And when I'm not in New York, there's a remote studio here in Pittsburgh that I'll often film from. And the last two times that I had a segment, a TV segment that I did, the makeup artist wasn't there. So I had to do it myself. And it was it was ugly, literally and figuratively. So I have a I have an incredible appreciation for, for the skill and art and talent that goes into all of that. Well, David, these are awesome positive things we're talking about. We know there's a lot of definitely hardship in the world and lots of problems that we have to try to solve, but I feel like we're evolving. We sometimes get caught up in the negative news all the time and because those things tend to grab the headlines. But but if we think about how 
our culture is evolving and how people are evolving and particularly how this younger generation is evolving. It's, it's just super positive stuff. So I wrap up all of our podcast episodes by, as you know, we do, we're a polling company. So we have 450,000 questions or so now on our system that we've asked people. And I love to wrap it up by asking our guests a handful of poll questions that you'll answer, I'll answer. We'll compare ourselves to the rest of the country, all kind of fun things, but we'll start with the first one. Salsa, medium, mild, or spicy? Medium, medium. I like some spice, but my wife loves spice, but I can't keep up with her on it. So probably more in the medium. So I'm in the spicy category. The country is remarkably kind of divided on this one where 37% of people choose mild, 29% spicy and 25% medium. So all kind of close. Mild is, is the highest by just a bit. Incidentally, the data says that there's an incredibly high correlation between people who like spicy salsa and college basketball. So there's a little trivia for you. Would not have guessed that. Yeah. Yeah. Number two, would you rather always be in the driver's seat or never in the driver's seat? And this is literal in the car. I'd say never. I like to drive, but my wife really loves to, to drive, mainly because she maybe doesn't like my driving. So then I can do other things and don't have to worry about the driving. I am with you on that, but we're in the minority. 55% of people say always, and just 17%, like you and I say never. I'm very practical about it. I think it's kind of socially presumed you should say, I always want to drive. Like I like to be the driver, but no, if I could be sitting in the passenger seat, looking at my phone, reading a book, I, who wouldn't rather do that? So yes, hundred percent in agreement. How dangerous is your favorite hobby? First of all, what is your favorite hobby? And then we'll decide how dangerous it is. Let's see. Favorite hobby. I love doing anything and everything outdoors, a lot of hiking and running, but I'd say, I guess if I had to pick a favorite, it's water skied my whole life and love it. Any opportunity I get. So mildly, not terribly dangerous. Yeah, somewhat dangerous. So that's 28% of Americans say their favorite hobby is, quote, somewhat dangerous. 11% say very dangerous. So that could be what, rock climbing or skydiving or something. And not dangerous at all, 55%. I'm in that category. Probably my favorite hobby is golf. And it's hard to see any potential. Maybe you get hit by a random ball, but that's pretty remote. Number four, what is the only proper way to apply ketchup to a basket of French fries? I can give you the choices if you'd like. Okay. Yeah. One one giant pool on the side of the basket, thoughtful lines across the top of all the fries, or place some on a separate plate. I'd say the, the giant pool. That's how I do it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Me too. And we're in the majority on that one. Pretty much two to one giant pool on the side of the basket. Second is a separate plate. But yeah, the spraying of the the all over the top of the fries, like first of all, it's incredibly messy. I I don't know right. why any I don't know why anybody does that. And the Go pool ahead. often can't be giant enough. I do like ketchup. So <laughs> agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Last but not least, a little bit more of an intellectual question. Do you spend more time thinking about the past, the present, or the future? The future. The future. I try to move on pretty quickly from the past, whether it's positive or or challenging, and think about what's ahead. I uh, agree, agree with you again on that one too. 26% of us say future, 39% say present, and 22% say 
past. I guess there's some belief that it's good to be in the present and thinking in the present. And certainly in interpersonal relationships, that's definitely true. But thinking ahead and in the future, I think that's really healthy. It probably explains how someone like you gets into a role like yours, because you always have to be thinking about what's next. So, all right, not a poll question, but last sign-off question, I guess, is we look out into the future. Any kind of predictions for the year? Any Well, not even predictions, but any sort of big trends that you're keeping a close eye on going into the balance of 2023 and beyond? I'm really both excited and just curious about where you know, where consumers are going to go. We, you know, we feel like in a lot of ways we've come out of COVID. Life in some ways is getting back to normal, but in so many ways hasn't, won't ever get back to some of the pre-COVID. So for me, as I look into this year with all the uncertainty, all the challenges that you know, the world faces that, you know, kind of do, as you mentioned earlier, consume a lot of our of our thought. I'm optimistic, but we'll be watching closely and figuring out how we adapt to how we as a culture and a society choose to move forward. We've been faced with this big disruption. Some things have maybe gotten better, but there's certainly many things that haven't improved. I think it's up to us as a collective society to figure out how we want to live together and take care of ourselves and and support each other in, in sometimes challenging times. And I think this year will be a big year for that with you know, as we take this next step of emerging from the disruption of COVID and lives maybe get into what I guess we might see as a new normal. How's that going to shape out? And hopefully it won't, again, be smooth or easy, I'm sure, but hopefully we continue to make progress on many of the things that we've been talking about today and how we take care of each other and the world around us. Well, we tell our clients all the time that today, more now than ever, that there's no skill more important for a business than agility, because we have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. And, and you've done a great job of proving that with your business over the the last three years and long before that as well. So Dave, thanks for joining me today. I know you're super, super busy. I uh, can't wait to hear about your, your Q4 numbers. I hope they were as awesome as the third quarter and best of luck to you in the business on the year ahead. Uh, thanks again for spending time with us today. Well, thank you, John. It's been a real pleasure and look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. Take care. Thanks. Thanks. 